Father, this morning we just come to declare that you are worthy of your name, the name that is above all other names, God, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Father, we're here to declare this morning that you are Lord. You are worthy of your name. You're our rock and our cornerstone. We thank you this morning for your worship, for your presence here. God, in our worship, we thank you for joining us. And we pray that as we hear your words spoken, God, that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. We love you and we give these things to you and we ask them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Hope that enters your mind a few times each week. Keep us on focus. Help us to stay uh, focused on what matters. First Samuel chapter 29. The title of this scripture is Learning Not to Fight Circumstances, or it could be Learning to Accept Circumstances. So depending upon how you learn best, either learning not to fight circumstances or learning to accept circumstances, the serenity prayer, grant us the ability to accept things we don't understand. It is an important lesson in Christian development. As we grow in Christ, we have got to learn to not fight circumstances, to accept the way things are. And we just don't stop there. We look at how things are and we look for where the Lord's at work in how things are. You see, a rejection, a disappointment, a setback does not mean all is lost. It just means that God's at work in a different area, a different place at a different time than now. If you have re been rejected from a job promotion, don't fight that circumstance. If you have a, a setback in, uh, in a goal that you have, and that setback is outside of you, and you go, how in the world did that take place? It's a setback. It's, it's not what we plan for. It's not what we long for. It, don't fight those circumstances. Look and see what the Lord's doing in that setback, in that failure, perhaps, you're looking at. Why did we fail in this endeavor? Why didn't this work out? Why, why, why is this so difficult, so hard? Well, maybe you need to step back and look at the circumstances and discover where the Lord is in those circumstances. Why is it so complicated? Majority of the time when you're going through life and something is really complicated, overly complex, you need to take a step back and look and see what's going on, what you're doing, what your motives are. Perhaps you got some things out of sorts. Because if you see in the scripture, things may be hard, they may be difficult, but those who live by faith, they experience far more simple than complex. The Apostle Paul, now, he had a very difficult life. He had a hard life. His calling was really dangerous. 
But complex? No. He was very simple. He said, when I came before you, I did not come in superior speech or logic or intellect. I came to make Christ known and Christ crucified and resurrected. And so Paul's mission was very simple. It was very hard, but not complex. And, and, the, and the thing that makes life complicated is circumstances. Circumstances. So we've got to take a look at our circumstances all the time in the Christian life. Walk into a situation, and perhaps you walk into a situation normally with the idea, what are the circumstances? What is going on? What's the issues here? What's the problem? But rather walk into things, happenings, Walk into circumstances with, what's the Lord going to do? And how's the Lord going to do it? And what do I need to be looking for? And what do I need to see? And oh, by the way, I need to really choose right up front that regardless of what happens in these circumstances, I'm not going to fight those circumstances. I'm going to accept those circumstances and see where the Lord's at work. And so when that mindset is, is practiced out, there's not really any rejections. There's not really any real disappointments. You know, there, there's some losses along the way and there's some, there's some things that may not iron out well. But when you recognize that the Lord is the Lord of circumstances, boy, it brings about a real fresh spirit to life. To life. First Samuel chapter 29 the entire Philistine army now mobilized at Aphek. And the Israelites camped at the spring in Jezreel. And the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in groups of hundreds and thousands. David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. But the Philistine commanders demanded, what are these Hebrews doing here? You remember, David believed the very best thing for him and his troops was that they would hide out in, in the Philistine land. And they were given Ziklag as a place to live out in. And so, here we are. It's time for battle, and they're going to go to battle against the Jewish people, Israel. And here's David and his 600 troops some great troops, here they are all together, and, and he's at the back, and all the commanders say, wait a minute, we can't have a potential enemy behind us when we go to battle. This isn't going to work out well. And we all know who David is. David is an Israelite. And Achish told them, this is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for years. Actually, he's been with him for a year and four months. But hey, it seemed like years. And I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into the battle with us. What if he turns against us in battle and becomes our 
adversary? That's a good, good question. Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with a master than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David about whom the women of Israel sang in their dances? Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Do you remember the day that we had the ladies with the tambourines? Remember that? The ladies would line the streets with tambourines. And, and when David and Saul would march back into town, they would sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That was one of the problems with Saul, by the way. He just couldn't get over the fact that David had such a higher standing than he had as king. Now, so in verse 6, So Achish finally summoned David and said to him, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me into battle, for I've never found a single flaw in, your, in you from the day you arrived until today. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't upset them, but go back quietly. King Achish is in a difficult space. He can't go to battle without his commanders. And he can't go into battle with his commanders if David goes into battle with them. So even though it's not what King Achish wants to do, it's, it's really only his choice. It's the only choice he's got. It's the only choice he's got. Look in verse 8. Look at the mindset of David at this situation. Now, Achish says, don't get upset about this. Just go back quietly. Don't stir up the hornet's nets here, David. Don't, don't fight this decision. Don't fight these circumstances, in other words. Accept these circumstances is what King Achish says to David. But look what David says. What have I done to deserve this treatment? He took it personally. He's personally offended by it. He's fighting his circumstances. What have I done to deserve this treatment? David demanded. Now, when we are fighting circumstances, we demand our rights. We demand to be heard. You're not respecting me in this circumstance. That's fighting the circumstance. You won't listen to me. You need to listen to me. I know what's best. I know what needs to happen. I'm in charge. I've got this figured out. I've lined this out. I've thought ahead. And I understand exactly how this is going to fall into place. That's fighting circumstances. How dare you embarrass me like that, David says. How could you mistreat me like that? What have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my Lord the King? That's David's mindset. David is fighting circumstances. He is not accepting the circumstances. He's sideways. But Achish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God, but the Philistine commanders are afraid to have you with them in battle. Now get up early in the morning 
and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back into the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. All right. Now, David is missing what God is doing for him. For him. Can you imagine how difficult his reign would be if he went to war with the Philistines against Saul, which is what is about to take place, and the Israelite army is slaughtered and King Saul falls on his sword and King Saul is killed. Not just King Saul, but his sons as well. Even Jonathan. You remember the relationship between Jonathan and David. That's what's about to happen. And so God is protecting David. God is protecting the purpose that he has for David. God is positioning David in the right place at the right time so that when that time comes for David to be the king, he doesn't have to deal with this question, this difficulty of how in the world could you, King David, fight against your own people? You see, it would always be in the back of their minds, as it is to a certain degree because of the experiences that take place in Ziglag when he's there, that, that David can't be trusted. David's a traitor. After all, David fought with the Philistines and destroyed our army, and now he's king? Wow. Now, David doesn't understand at this point at verse 8. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why he's, just, he's not respected. He doesn't understand why the king is treating this way. Because as far as David is concerned, he's going to be loyal to his situation because he still sees that that's the best thing for his life. He still sees that. However, God showed up in, in this rejection, God showed up in this disappointment. God showed up in what David would perceive to be a setback, a disappointment. When the answer is no, look and see where the Lord is. He may be protecting you. Some of you fellows and gals might remember that back in your younger days, and you, and you teenagers, listen up to this, but probably nearly everyone here, probably nearly every adult here, when they were younger, they really felt like she or he was the one. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. And they probably went through a time of, of hurt, loss, despair, da-da-da-da-da, because they believed she was the one or they believed he was the one and they weren't the one. 
And after time went on, and after the circumstances changed, and, and later on, two or three years later, however many years it is, they find themselves lined up with another one, and they will tell you today, they're so thankful it wasn't the first one. <laughs> because they found a better one. The one that was really for them. Or maybe it's not that next one, it's the next one, and it's the next one. And maybe there's some adults here to say, man, I thought she was the one four different times, four different girls. I thought they were the one, but man, those circumstances were really hard. And, and, but the, the fifth one, now she's the one, and she's the one that I've been with since these 20, 25 years, or whatever the number is, and I'm so thankful that none of the first five were the one. Thank you for rejection. Each one of those girls broke my heart and I thought I couldn't live. And there was great sorrow and because I was fighting the circumstances. Let me tell you something. Young people, please listen to me. Please hear this. Don't think I'm an old fuddy and don't know this. I know something. This is one of the things I do know. If you have to fight for someone to love you, run. Run. If you have to fight to make someone love you and want to be with you, run. Man, don't limit your opportunities. See the Lord in the circumstances. God was protecting David. Now, remember these things. God is the Lord of all. God knows what's going on all the time. God knows what is next for you. God knows what He desires to do through you tomorrow. So don't allow circumstances to take joy from you, to rob you of peace, and cause a crisis of faith in you. Early in my Christian calling, this great struggle, the, the, really the, the only role model I saw of a pastor was a doctor, was a three-piece suit man, lots of hair, Slick back. Now, back then, I could have had the hair part, but slick back, I wasn't going down that road. Vocabulary. Woo! Vocabulary. He used words like behooved. It behooved you. I ain't never used the word behooved. He didn't use ain't neither. And I, and I watched that. And so, when I went off to seminary, I, I knew there's no way in the world I could be a pastor. So I was going to be a youth minister. That's what I believe my calling was. I had experience with, with boys at the West Texas Boys Ranch. And so I thought, that's it. That's it. That's what I should do. Now, actually, my role at the Boys Ranch was the chaplain, so I was like their pastor. But I really believed that I was going to be a youth minister. Did you know that I'm about to graduate from uh, seminary? Did graduate, official. I paid my dues, and they let me go through. And uh, uh, I interviewed 
twice. And I didn't even get past the first interview to be a youth minister. And I'm thinking, I got more experience. I got five years' experience working with boys at the boys' home. What's going on here? I had two more years' experience working as a house parent at Butner Children's Home. I mean, my wife is a school teacher. She's really the catch of the deal anyway. And I, and I, I couldn't get anybody to want me to come be at the church to do their work. I'm going, well, I'm about to graduate, and I don't have a job or anything. And so I went, okay, well, I guess I'll just keep on doing what I'm doing. And, and after graduation, I got a phone call from a guy that said, hey, I'm so-and-so, and, and uh, uh, I live in Lubbock, Texas, and, and my church is looking for a pastor, and we heard about you. And I said, well, I'm, I'm really called to be a youth minister. I'm open to be a youth minister. That's what I feel the Lord's at work in. He said, well, uh, will you at least talk with us? We'd like to have youth in our church. Would you at least talk with us? And I went, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. So I met with them, and after the meeting, they said, we'd like for you to come be our pastor. And I said, I, I told y'all that that I'm going to be a youth minister. That's what I feel I'm called to do. And he says, well, give it some thought. Well, we did. And I said, I remember Susan saying, well, you know, nobody else wants you. <laughs> it's always going to be that way. Did y'all know I was like number four or five for here? The other ones turned you down. And I was the end of the barrel, and they didn't have any more resumes. They'd gone through them all and said, a guy told them about me. And so I was the, they wanted off that, they wanted that committee to go. And so I was the, I was the only one that was willing to come. <laughs> That's the way it was. That's the truth. Praise the Lord. So I was the pastor of Skyline Baptist Church in Lubbock. The whole time I was there, I believed I was to be a youth minister. So one of my close friends, and we had taken our youth groups down to um, uh, Heart of Texas Baptist Encampment for youth camp. You know, back then, we went 90 miles from town to a, that was a big, yeah, boy, that was a big deal to go 90 miles away to youth camp. Now y'all are going down to Panama City and got to get a hotel and all those things. You know, I didn't see the ocean until, well, I did when I was a kid in, North, in the North Sea, but I didn't, I didn't see the ocean for years around America. Y'all get to go out. I just, it's just the way it is these days. And we were good friends, and I was passing there in Lubbock, and he calls you one day, and he says, you still want to be a youth minister? And I said, man, I really am. I believe that's my calling. I, I believe that's what I need to do. I, this pastor thing, it's not working out for anyone. It's not working out for them. It's not working out for me. I, I don't fit this pastor model deal, man. It's not what I'm supposed to do. They want you to dress up and do all these things, and you got to say the right thing at the right time. I never say the right thing at the right time. It's always off. It's just always this, always that, always a trouble. He said, man, I'm up here at First Baptist in uh, Venita, Oklahoma. Oh, Oklahoma. No, I can't do that. And... Um, 
But it was about 60 miles from Tahlequah. That would make Susan happy, you know, and we'd be up there around her mom and, and all those kind of things back then. And so um, he said, why don't you fly up here? We'll, we'll pay your ticket. You fly up here. I'll get you to the airport. And you meet with our committee and see what the Lord does. And I said, all right, I'll do it. So uh, we flew up there. I flew up there, Susan didn't go, and we had two little babies in the house. And I met with them. And man, we met for two hours. And when I left that committee meeting, I went, this is it. Randy wants me to be his youth minister, and I get along really good with him. We can work together well. And I could tell this committee, they like me. This is it. And so I go back to the little hotel they had there in Minita, Oklahoma. And <laughs> uh, about two or three hours later, he knocks on the deal. He woke me up. I thought he was going to come get me in the morning and let me know what's going on, you know, take me back to the airport. And he wakes me up. And he says, man, I, I'm sorry I brought you all up way up here, but we're, we're not going to invite you to come up here. I said, really? What, what, why not? Is the Lord, you know, what did the Lord do here? He said, we met for three hours, but we had, we had an agreement with each other. And that agreement was that every single member of the committee would say yes to what they, and if one says no, then it's no. And I, who said no? That's what I was saying. Who said no? And it was one of the men that was there. And he said, he said to us, he said, if we were calling a pastor, he would be very interested in you. But a youth minister, no. He said, he said Lee, you're a pastor. You're a preacher. And, and that's what you need to accept. And you need to listen to him. And, and so I did. And when I got home, I had a long talk with Susan. I said, you know, uh, maybe that's why the Lord had all this happen to show me and to let me see. And so I had a season of acceptance that happened right then. Then... A few couple years later, I said, there's no way I'm supposed to be a pastor. There's no way. God, you made a mistake. What's going on here? I'm not a pastor. I don't act like the rest of them. I don't do like the rest of them. I struggle with the rest of them. Their meetings bore me to death. And, the, and I just don't, it's not me. And I said, maybe we're supposed to be missionaries. And so, Lord, call us. We'll go anywhere you want us to go. Take us. Just, I'll, I'll, I'll go in the Amazon jungle. I'll go down the Nile. I don't care where you want us to go. I'll go. I'll preach with nothing. I just, I'll live in a hut somewhere. It's good with me. But you probably need to send me somewhere where they speak English because I can't learn a foreign language and air conditioning would be nice every now and then. <laughs> you know? And the Lord never gave us a green light for that. Never gave us a green light for that. He protected me. I fought the circumstances and he protected me. If you're fighting circumstances, if you're fighting a rejection, if you're fighting a disappointment, if, if, if you're fighting a goal that you have, do you realize that you may be fighting the Lord? And when we don't fight circumstances, we're 
lined up for obedience. You know, a lot of conflict is because you're fighting the circumstances. Maybe some mistakes were made and maybe some things are in the wrong order and maybe this is not the way it ought to be, but you're fighting what happened instead of lining up with what is. And that is God healing, God restoring, God bringing peace, God bringing joy, God bringing forgiveness. But you're fighting the circumstances and so you don't have the peace and the joy and the victory in Christ. You got to get back in that hole where the water runs. Get off the hilltop where the briars are and all that and get down there where the Holy Spirit runs. God is the Lord of all. God knows what's going on. God knows what is next. God knows what he's about to do through you. David, why in the world would you not allow us to fight for you? I can't believe that you have thrown this insult on us. We were, I mean, I can see this three-day journey that he takes going back to Ziglag. David is absolutely eat up that he didn't get, have to get to show off his troops. Remember, he says, all right, I'll show you what we can do. He lost that opportunity. He, I guarantee you, he fought those circumstances all the way back to Ziglag when it was the very best thing to ever happen to him. One more story and I'll let you be today. Last time that went to Peru to teach him down there, Tony Zepeda went with us and Susan went with us. Now, we fly from Dallas to Mexico City, Mexico City to Lima, and we're going to fly from Lima to Eterquipa. Now, we're in the plane. We take off. All's good. We get, it's only about an hour flight or so to Eterquipa. We get close, and I look out the window, and it is thick in clouds. I mean, they're everywhere. He starts going down. He's descending to the clouds. And I went, well, we're about to land. Here we go. You know, he goes down for a little bit. Then he comes back up. And then he starts to circle. He goes down again, and he keeps on going down and down and down. And I'm watching that, and I've flown enough to kind of, you know, understand the difference in the noises and what you're looking for. And I'm going, he can't see anything. And all I can picture is that great big mountain beside the runway. It's a good-sized mountain. I'm not kidding you. Matter of fact, when you take out off out of Arequipa, either way you're going, he don't turn right or left for a while. He's got to just climb out of that valley. And, and so we're going down and down and down until there's no ground. There's no ground. We should be seeing ground by now. And he'd come back up and circle. And he did that three or four times. And finally he comes on and he says, it's dangerous to land in Eterkeepa there. Now we're going back to Lima. Hallelujah. I'm in favor because I could see my body splattered all over that mountain in Eterkeepa. <laughs> Not where I want to go down. And so... Uh, we fly back and we get off the plane, we get our luggage, and we have to come back around and, and go over there and check back in, of course, with our luggage and everything. There is a riot going on. 
the people that were on our plane and people that were on other planes that were going there to keep everything, there's two or three of them kind of lined up. They're all there in front of the counters and they are mad. They are really angry. And I'm standing back there and we stand for a long time and I go, man, they called the police. They called the police with the machine guns in there trying to sort through this. These people are mad. And, and, and I said, Tony, yell and scream real loud. He speaks Spanish, you know. Tell them that they're, they're foolish because we could be splattered in that mountain right now. Tell them. Of course, he's going, oh, well, you know. And so anyway, we're standing there for a good while. And finally, there's a counter that's open and this lady's all by herself. And, and I think he or I or somebody said, let's go over there and talk with her. And we walked over there, and I remember uh, saying to her through Tony, but she could speak English, said, we're not mad. We're not part of this group. We're not mad. I'm thankful we didn't try to land. Can we just get on the next plane going down there? Oh, yes, you can. Matter of fact, there's going to be one tonight. It's all going to be good. And, and she says, I don't know what we're going to do. This, she looked at me, she says, this is Latin anger. It's what this is. I said, well, man, they're angry. And she says, it'll be all fine. And they will all be probably on your plane, but it's going to be fine. You know, oh, boy, that's good, you know. That's good, that's good, that's good. So we stay in the hotel, I mean, in the, in the airport all day long. Not fun. Not fun. Not fighting circumstances. Every time we talked about this is really not, this is really a process. Yep, but we're not splattered against that mountain. All is good. This is, this is all good. Let's just enjoy the day in the airport. Nighttime comes around. We go down to where that gate is. We've got our little boarding slip. We're going up. And, and, and I think I was first in line of our group. And I hand her my boarding pass, expecting her to go deep. And she went, oh, Mr. Brewer. Yes. Is Susan Brewer here? I said, yes. And with your group, Tony Zepeda, him, we have other boarding passes for you. What? We have other boarding passes here. I'm going, oh, I don't want to. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be in the, whole, in, the, in the airport another night. And I said, okay. Reach out my hand. First class. Yeah. First class tickets. We're walking onto the plane. And Tony said, I think it's because we were nice. Don't fight circumstances. You might fly first class. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the scripture in 1 Samuel 29. Help us to learn from David not to fight circumstances and look to see where you're at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers.